the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we had a panel discussion on the failed Brexit talks, US tax reform and what it might mean for Ireland, and the exchequer returns for the first 11 months of this year, and what they tell us about the health of the Irish economy. You'll shortly hear from Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, Davy Economist Colin McQuilla, and Suzanne Lynch, the Irish Times Washington DC correspondent. Before that, let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now we begin with Brexit and this was supposed to have been a big breakthrough week for talks between the EU and the UK on a possible arrangement that might allow uh, Britain to go forward to the second stage of talks with the European Union in terms of its of its exit, uh, which would deal with a, a potential trade relationship between the EU and the UK. But those talks uh, broke down at the 11th hour when the DUP stepped in and here to explain it all to us in great detail is uh, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Take Not it away, too, Cliff. Not too much detail, uh, Kieran. Well, I guess uh, I think we found ourselves surprised twice on uh, on Monday. Maybe uh, I was certainly surprised. Well, we should you... say Theresa May was meeting with John Paul Juncker yeah, yeah, yeah. in in Brussels, and a formal words was uh, agreed. Was circulated, yeah, and news started to leak out on Monday morning that uh, a deal was on, and particularly uh, in relation to the Irish border. Particularly in relation to the Irish border. So I guess to reverse track a little bit, there are three issues that have to be solved to allow the talks to progress to the next stage. The first one is the Brexit bill, the exit bill, the divorce bill, whatever you want to call it. Big concession on that, on that uh, by Britain the previous week. Uh, big concession by the Brexit lobby. Uh, Boris Johnson originally said Brussels could go whistle for its money yeah. and now suddenly he's agreed to pay 50 billion. So anyway, that was Maybe solved. more. And maybe more. The citizens' rights issue appears to be close to being solved. That's the second of the three issues, basically the rights of British citizens living in the EU and vice versa. Still some tricky issues there, still not clear that's entirely solved in terms of the powers of the ECJ to solve the European Court of Justice to solve disputes. Yeah. But the Irish border is certainly the most tricky one. It appeared a form of words have been found. Uh, that that was surprising because there there are clear problems here. Uh, if the UK is going to leave the EU trading bloc, if it's going to leave the single market and the customs union, there has to be a border. Either the border is 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 on the island of Ireland or between Ireland and Britain. And we all know the problems that the Irish mm. government has a problem with the former, the DUP, and London has a problem with the latter. So this fudge was 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 come up with, and uh, it had all been signed off, all agreed. It appeared. Uh, so there'd be some sort of regulatory alignment between North and South, uh, yeah. essentially. It was a bit of a fudge, uh, but I think a fudge that was still a good step forward mm. or would have been a good step forward for the Irish government because it, it wrote in stuff mm. that could be pulled out later in the talks. But it would have set, the, uh, set Northern Ireland apart from the rest of the UK. It would, although there was enough, um, enough scope in the, in the wording as we understand it for a number of possible solutions to emerge. So in other words, it was clear that under the wording, if the UK and the EU came up with a with with a detailed trade deal, or if the UK reversed course and it stayed in the single market and customs union, they they could all be accommodated by what the formal wording that was was agreed. But you're right, the bottom line of it was, and this is the bit that's called caused the problem. Uh, a commitment that uh, regulations and rules for trade and customs would be the same on both sides of the border at, at the end of the day if nothing else could be worked out. And that's the bit that causes the problem for the DUP because it raises the risk of the North being different from the rest of the UK. And of course, that's political anathema to them. 
And also, there are there are practical problems because is it going to require customs checks as goods cross the uh, the Irish Sea? And we've seen, for example, Bombardier today, one of the biggest companies in the north, saying, "Hold on a sec, we import a lot of stuff across the Irish Sea. This could be a problem for us if, mm. if this is the way things go." So this is yeah. a and early impossible to DUP. In fairness, she did say, look, Britain is a much bigger trading partner with Northern Ireland than the Republic, although clearly uh, the Republic is important. Yeah, I, I mean, you would wonder if the better tactic for the DUP might have been to sit back and say, look, at the moment the North has free trade with the Republic and it's free trade with, uh, with, with, with the rest of the UK. We would like that to continue. Please tell us how that's going to happen mm. rather than setting this, uh, this hard line because there was surely a chance for the North to, pay, to play for special status, various economic advantages that could have, that could have emerged as, as, the talks, as the talks went on, you know, playing on the Good Friday Agreement and also on the important trade with the UK. But no, mm. they've decided to take, you know, politically, I think, driven by politics. But it's highly embarrassing for Theresa May, isn't it? I mean, how does she find a solution to this problem? Yeah. We have a, a summit coming up on December 14th and we really need a decision by then, don't Yeah, we? positions have hardened in public, in private contacts are still going on so it remains to be seen whether something can emerge over the next kind of 48 uh, 72 hours that that might allow something to be fudged basically for the summit but i think it's clear even if that happens that you know we have a problem here in dealing with this i guess from the irish business point of view of course the cross border trade is important but trade between ireland and the uk is is, is you know in, in cash terms is is much more important mm. to irish businesses as is the ability to move stuff through sure. move goods through uh Britain, and you have a column in today's irish times calling yeah. for business leaders saying basically it's time now for business leaders both in the uk and ireland to really get stuck into this debate yeah well it, it is interesting I think the businesses, certainly in the UK, have stood back a bit because they got badly burnt during the referendum campaign. They were on the, the losing side, if you like. And, and businesses here have understood, understandably stood back because of the political uh, importance or the political sensitivity of the whole border issue. But there is a new debate now in Britain about how hard Brexit should be. Uh, it appears the Labour Party are starting to shift their position again and saying that maybe Britain should should in fact stay in the single market and customs union or something like it. Uh, the costs of a hard Brexit seem to be coming on the agenda more and more there. You know, why else would Boris Johnson and Michael Gove have mm. backed down and agreed to pay the bill uh, to the EU? So I think the debate is on in Britain now about the shape of Brexit. Uh, and I think it's time, you know, for, for businesses to really start pointing out in public, what I presume they've been pointing out in private to the government. Yeah. This is going to really cost in terms of jobs. Colin, I wonder, uh, Davies' clients, maybe overseas, are any of them expressing concerns about um, what this means for the economy in Ireland? Uh, not yet, actually. I'm going to be a bit surprised that there's that kind of, I'm not sure if you call it complacency or not, but Everyone's I suppose on. they're looking at Ireland. They're seeing um, us getting business in terms of um, financial services companies relocating. Um, very strong flows of FDI. Our main competitor has decided to shoot itself in the foot uh, when it comes to foreign direct investment. Um, a nice uh, tweet from the IDA this week that um, we're open for business and committed to the single market. So that's very attractive. Vis -vis mind the you, UK. where are we going to house them? Housing is a real problem. It's a real issue, isn't it? Uh, well, that's true. But um, I suppose the people who are pushing the rents up are the people with the high paid jobs working for mm. Google and LinkedIn and Facebook. It's the people at the bottom of the food chain who have been forced out um, out of accommodation where the rent is going up. But I suppose the FDI side is very positive in terms of Brexit. Um, there's no getting around the fact, though, however, if you get a cliff-edge Brexit, 
uh, in 2019, that that's going to be very, very disruptive. So how um, do you view uh, what happened during the week? Is it just sort of political posturing or do you think there's a real seriousness um, to, to, to the situation now that the UK might actually be heading for a really hard Brexit? Um, well, I think it's very surprised with the agreement. Um, this idea of regulatory equivalence, it's not really enough to actually avoid a hard border. Mm. Uh, there's this idea of mutual recognition. If you sell a drug or a medicine in Ireland, it has to be uh, recognised in the UK as having met all the safety standards. Um, and we could, you could keep that. But the other issues are tariffs. So what kind of trade deal will the UK end up with? Will Northern Ireland have that same trade deal? If the UK is going to do its own trade deals with the rest of the world? And there would still have to be checks to see um, that beef from Brazil was not going to come in uh, to Ireland. So uh, that form of words appeared to be enough for the Irish government. I'm not sure we would guarantee the need for the lack of a border. Um, it obviously raises very much more difficult questions to the UK in terms of the status of Northern Ireland. And you saw the comments around Scotland, around London from Sadiq Khan, who appears to think to be some kind of border around London, perhaps at the M25. Uh, and now we're told, according to David Davis, that actually this mutual or this equivalence would extend to the entire of the UK, uh, which is even more strange. Uh, you know, you really can't start doing your own trade deals if you're going to have uh, equivalence between the UK and the rest of the EU, um, chlorinated chickens being the first of those. Uh, we've heard that mentioned many times. So I think really what this brings out is that the UK has absolutely no coherent position on where it wants to be. And all we're talking about right now is moving forward and having enough progress on citizens' rights, the Irish border, uh, and the form of, of words that the UK government will commit to to move us on to those trade negotiations. But in moving into those trade negotiations, the UK has no coherent idea of where it wants to be. And just today, David Davis has said that they've done no impact assessment on the vast majority of industries in the UK. So that's the level that we're dealing with here. Um, in terms of Theresa May herself, the idea that she would have gone into those negotiations not having secured the support of the DUP is extraordinary. Um, perhaps you could say that the more extreme elements within the DUP um, have are suddenly balked, uh, but it seems to be pretty incompetent in terms of yeah. the politics. Suzanne, you're in Washington, D.C. Uh, is there much focus on Brexit over there? Um, there is a certain amount of interest uh, here, Kieran, but very little uh, detail is being talked about here in the media and among politicians. In saying that, actually, this afternoon, there is a Brexit hearing in Congress um, I'm I'm going to go up to to attend it. They've got some experts talking about Brexit to the House Foreign uh, Relations Committee, and it's expected that Northern Ireland, for example, will come up during that uh, hearing because there's an irony here, or it, it's an interesting uh, twist on things. Actually, a lot of the congressmen here in Washington are very clued into the border and Northern Ireland issues, and they are concerned about the impact of Brexit on Northern Ireland. So I think the developments over the last week that have seen the North really be front and centre here has pricked a lot of interest here and people are sitting up and saying hang on what implications are this is this going to have uh, on the peace process uh, but in terms of you know the big issue for britain is, is of course if they will be able to do a trade deal with the us uh, and i think it's been very negative in the last week the way donald trump engaged in a twitter battle 
with the, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, that went down very badly in Britain. I don't think that bodes well uh, for uh, this idea that of this special relationship and that America will will, um, will sign on the dotted line with Britain about a trade deal. Obviously, a lot of Brexiteers in Britain um, have been clinging to that hope for some time. Now, you mentioned Trump. One of the key platforms in his election campaign was reform of the of UK of US rather uh, corporate taxes and uh, there's been some uh, interesting debate going on in Congress hasn't there over the past couple of weeks mm. and there was a vote this week uh, tell us what's happened yeah, and I mean, people would be used to hearing this about reforming the U.S. tax system for many years. And it's easy to be cynical and say, oh, well, they always talk about this, but they re- very rarely get anything done. This time, it seemed they do seem to be getting something done. Um, and it's mainly because, as, as Trump has said himself, Republicans are controlling all the levers of power here. They're controlling the House, the Senate and the White House. So there is an opportunity here for them to kind of progress this plan. Uh, Republicans also have are in bad need, really, of some kind of a of a policy win. Uh, we're now ten months or so into this administration, and uh, Obamacare, the repeal of Obamacare in particular, failed spectacularly during the summer. So I think they really feel like they need to have something to show to their constituents that you know Washington is working, etc. Uh, so I think there is political momentum behind this plan. The House, uh, the two, the two houses in, in Congress, the, the House representatives passed their plan just before Thanksgiving, again, quicker than many people had expected. And then the Senate in the early hours of Saturday morning signed off on their plan. Now what happens is a process called reconciliation. The two sides get together uh, and they hammer out the dif- differences. Um, and that's really gathering pace this week. And um, there's a committee being set up called a conference committee and the Senate are about to vote on who is going to be negotiation for them on that committee. But that happens now this week in the coming weeks. And the plan, the expectation is that they will get together their their joint plan, if you like, and that will go to the desk of the president and be signed off uh, as a bill by the end of the year. So just remind us, what is the current corporate tax rate and what's being proposed by Trump? Yeah, so the current corporate tax rate is 35% in America, very high, although effectively a lot of companies pay lower than that, um, um, as many people have have, uh, outlined. And the proposal is that it will be cut to 20%. Trump himself had preferred, had suggested a 15% rate initially. It looks like both the House and the Senate plans, there's a few differences, but on corporate tax, the rate is the same, it's 20%, although the Senate wants to introduce that new change in 2019 rather than 2018. Interestingly, though, there has been um, interestingly, there has been a change in uh, the last few days over the weekend. There were suggestions from the White House that maybe a 22 percent corporate tax rate could be settled at because like every government in the world, um, the, uh, the Republicans are running into the problem of how to pay for these colossal tax cuts. I mean, this is going to have a huge impact um, on the federal uh, system here. You know, you're talking about one point four trillion in cuts over 10 years just just down to this corporate tax cut. So um, they're busy at the moment trying to find other ways to raise this revenue. So we could be looking at maybe a 22% tax now uh, that might come up as some kind of a compromise. Right. Although presumably he's hoping that this will stimulate investment, etc., by US corporations, that they won't go overseas with a lot of this money. Um, so exactly. therefore, maybe the tax yield uh, will, will be greater than, um, than, than exactly. the numbers would this suggest. Exactly. This is the big... This- this is the kernel of their argument, of the Republican argument, that this is going to spur economic growth, that this is uh, going to bring more investment and hence more jobs to America. And politically, it's interesting here, that also for Trump's base, he is he's been doing rallies all around the country to his supporters saying, this will essentially trickle down to you guys. This is going to be mean less government interference for businesses, more investment by businesses. Those coal mine businesses, etc., will not be going overseas now. They will want to stay in America and there will be more jobs for you. So he that is the way he is 
selling this uh, corporate tax cut and this whole tax package that is has been analysed to to benefit the wealthy more. But the argument, of course, is that this will trickle down uh, to the economy and to everyone yeah. uh, in the economy. Colin McQuilla, should we should we be worried here in Ireland, given that there's uh, so much American FDI investment here? Should we be worried if corporate tax rates are slashed in America to twenty two percent or less? Uh, worried that maybe the likes of Apple, uh, Microsoft, etc., might uh, pull back from Ireland somewhat, and they might locate uh, a lot more of their investment in the US. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the main reason uh, multinationals located in Ireland is to be part of the EU single market, and the corporation tax rate helps. At the moment, they're actually able to. If they pay any tax in the US, claim back any they've paid here against their US tax bill. What's probably more worrying is um, uh, one issue which isn't particularly clear yet is that although the US was supposedly moving towards a territorial uh, corporate tax regime where they wouldn't uh, claim uh, to be able to tax, uh, say, Apple's global revenues, um, it appears that there is actually a scheme where they'll be taxing uh, the revenues uh, relating to intellectual property or, or intangible assets. And it's not clear yet uh, what the impact of that would be. Uh, I think that's probably not something that's going to really change the decision to locate in Ireland or not. Um, you could argue that the reason they're here is because it gives them facility to park cash balances outside the United States. But I think yeah. the, the reason they are here is the EU. It's the low corporate tax rate. It's the labour labour market. And ultimately, most of these companies have to decide whether to locate in Europe at all. And if they do, where do they locate? And, you know, we've been that choice and our next competitor. Mm. And ironically, maybe Brexit helps yeah. us in that, in, in selling Ireland, yeah. Cliff, uh, Conor mentioned the fact that a lot of American corporations are, are parking money overseas. I mean, I think there's something like 1.3 uh, trillion worth of dollars of cash. A lot of zeros. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a lot of zeros, a big number, and it's it's effectively parked overseas. And Trump is obviously hoping that some of this money will come home uh, yeah. ultimately. And the FT had a story today saying that the uh, reform by Trump could slash uh, Apple's tax bill by $47 billion. It's an attractive, when you put it like that, it sounds it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds good. I mean, obviously the corporation tax rate is being cut and there's a special incentive coming in for companies to bring their big cash piles that are outside the US back to the US, as you say, to fund investment. And uh, Apple are the biggest holder of, of an overseas cash pile. So what the FT has done is say, look, if they, if they, brought, if they bring their cash home, how much money are they going to save? Um, but I think Connell is right. I think... There is an issue for us in this in terms of the tax on intellectual property. Uh, because of the way international tax is moving, a lot of the big companies, including Apple, we believe, have moved their intellectual property, their copyrights, patents, trademarks from tax havens uh, onto on, onshore, as they say, on, onto countries with, with, with more normal tax systems. And Ireland has been a beneficiary of that. And it's been one of the factors that seems to have pushed up corporation tax over the last few years, even though the They've got big allowances when they when the investment moves to Ireland. It looks like they're going to be paying some tax in future on the income coming from those assets insofar as we can read the US legislation. And also that there are things in that legislation that make it more attractive for companies to keep their IP in Ireland or sorry, in the US and also not to move it out of the US. So there's a there's a number of things there that, yeah. that could could change decisions in the next few years, particularly when you add it to what's happening in Europe. And the various uh, plans there to to impose new taxes on um, on digital sales and, and, and on these big companies. Cool. Yeah, look, I suppose when you think about FDI, everyone sort of thinks what can go wrong. But I think we need to recognise we're kind of in a sweet spot. The OECD BEPS process has happened. Um, that's effectively closed off offshore locations where intellectual property or profits would have been hidden. And those intellectual property assets being brought back to Ireland, they're helping corporate tax revenues. So very much the reforms that we've seen so far have worked in our favour. Mm. Of course, that brings its own pressures. Uh, there's been 
proposals for taxation of digital companies in a different way. I think probably the end game here is that Google or LinkedIn or Facebook is going to pay more taxes in the, the areas where they're advertising, uh, probably be it clicks or uh, measured in some way. And now, having said that, I think while there are reforms and global tax reform is moving all of the time, it is only one factor that only one reason they locate here. And unless, unless the entire corporate tax rulebook is entirely ripped up, um, you know, I think we can reasonably expect to still be attractive to FDI uh, over the next five, ten years, particularly with what's happening in the UK at the moment. Okay. And again, the fear, I think, in terms of policy is that yeah. we always sort of think about disaster and sort of fight the last battle. Okay. Uh, I think we do need to think about investment, housing, yeah. all those things to sort of facilitate that flow over the next ten years. All right, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll consider the Exchequer returns for the first 11 months of this year and what they tell us about the health of the Irish economy. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, earlier this week, we had exchequer returns for the first 11 months of this year. It showed that uh, corporation taxes and VAT were going along nicely, but income taxes, uh, for some reason, are behind profile. And here to make sense of it all for us now is Colin McQuilla. Uh, Colonel, as I mentioned, corporation taxes uh, strong, VAT revenues looking good, uh, but the income tax uh, returns seem to be a bit below profile, which is kind of counterintuitive when you think that we're being told that the economy is heading towards uh, almost full employment. And indeed, you know, unemployment rates have been coming down consistently over the last uh, number of years, haven't they? Um, well, I think we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. If you look at income taxes, they've actually grown by 4%. Uh, Year mm, and but year. 1.4% behind profile, behind what the department effectively had expected. Well, they're up for, they're 1% below. We kind of make these errors, or we used to make these errors in much larger terms when the economy crashed. Uh, we look at the jobs growth figures, they're fine. Uh, I think the economy is growing around 5%, and that's sort of true across a range of indicators. VAT is up. So tax revenues this year have grown around 5%, pretty much in line, just slightly over, actually, the government's targets. Small miss on the income tax side, offset by the um, corporate tax revenues. Uh, so the process of deficit reduction is basically complete. Um, but again, the issue we've kind of spoken about already is that uh, the corporate tax revenues could be volatile if there's going to be legislation in the United States around where intellectual property assets are located. Uh, but again, we need to remember that the trend here is that, if anything, corporate tax revenues are artificially weak as a lot of these profits were located offshore over the past 10 years. Um, in the background here, we've had the budget, a small giveaway, uh, on budget day itself, uh, where there's some small tax cuts, some b- big increases in social spending. Uh, but the big issue is that over the past two years, the government has effectively started to spend the extra tax revenues. That 5% growth in tax revenues, what primary expenditure, which excludes the interest bill, that'll grow by over 4% in 2018, according to the government's own uh, forecast. So that's a reasonably strong uh, pace of growth. Uh, you kind of ask yourself, where is it going? And there's always been this talk about a two-to-one ratio of spending over tax cuts. Well, it's been more like four or five-to-one over the past two budgets. Um, we still have very high marginal tax rates. Uh, and I suppose the question is, is how much room does the economy really have left to catch up? Uh, people like the Central Bank, the European Commission, 
uh, even the SRI, I think, kind of saying the government needs to be cautious, and I'm all in favour of caution. Uh, but when I look at, say, the construction sector, when I look at the level of employment, the employment rate in the economy, uh, I think there's still probably a bit of catch-up to go. And as we move forward and we start to see these surpluses and we do start to see more signs of overheating, um, is the political will going to be there to, uh, with so many crises in our economy, to run those surpluses and get the level of government debt down? And I'm not sure uh, it is there, particularly when you have the um, the kind of confidence and supply agreement and the current makeup of the Doyle. We certainly didn't do it. Uh, back into th- in the 2000s. Yeah, well, um, only last week, I mean, the gov- government was teetering, wasn't it? Uh, we, we were on the precipice mm-hmm. of an election. Um, well, absolutely. And uh, while a lot of people sort of see these booms and busts as a conspiracy, the fact is they're politically popular. Uh, the housing house price cycle is driven largely by political uh, pressures, things like the help to buy scheme. Uh, during the bust, people are all in favour of fiscal rules or the central bank coming into regulate the banks and limit the amount of mortgage lending as they become more confident they want the government to start giving out large tax cuts to increase spending uh, they would get frustrated they can't buy a home so they say well banks really should um, be able to lend us more or the government should give us a subsidy in the form of help to buy so these are things that get repeated again and again across economies uh, we're probably less stable than most uh, given our history and I suppose the test will be in one or two years time is there really going to be a Department of Finance and a minister for the Department of Finance who says, no, we're going to take it easy on the spending? Um, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, actually, at European level today, um, Cliff, talk of uh, yet more convergence uh, in, in in terms of Europe and possibly a minister for finance uh, across the, the Eurozone. Yeah, I don't think that'll go down well in, in, in the Irish from the Irish point of view. Uh, first of all, for political reasons. Uh, but There's also already a lot more uh, oversight of the Irish budget absolutely, now. Absolutely, but also for economic reasons because does a minister for finance mean that revenues are pooled, mm. for example, in the area of corporation tax, mm. which would, those corporation uh, would not taxes, be to our advantage? Given everything we were saying, you know, Brexit, Trump, yeah. his tax reform, etc. Those corporation taxes, which have obviously gone up in the past uh, couple of years, mm. are they sustainable? They're, pos- they're probably sustainable where they are now. Uh, and maybe to increase kind of at a, at a, at a more normal rate over the next few years. But I suppose what we've seen, what we've seen last year, the year before, this year, is um, big increases in corporation tax, paying for a bit of fall off elsewhere, and, and really meaning that the uh, figures at the end of the year come in well ahead of target. Uh, you know, paying for any sins in terms of overspending or whatever. Cause, so they've kind of saved us a couple of times the, the very fast rate of growth of corporation tax. So I suppose, and, and Pascal Donahue, who did the Minister of Finance, did make this point on radio this morning that we just have to be careful in terms of looking at the growth rate of corporation tax over the next few years. I don't think there's any reason to expect that firms are going to start pulling out of Ireland. In fact, as Connell said, you know, there may be taxes. If, if the, the big companies are paying more tax over the next few years, some of that may come to Ireland. But equally, Looking out three, four, five years, it does look like more tax is going to be paid where sales are made in the big European yeah. markets. That could okay. be a cost to us. So I think you know the growth rate of corporation tax is going to be a really tricky thing to. Um, Connell, I just wonder whether we can afford um, the the economy can uh, afford a solution that will resolve the housing crisis, for example, while also dealing with the deficiencies in our health service and and education and you know various other areas of the economy and while also meeting the demands of uh, public sector workers 
who feel that they're, you know, they're, they're owed a payback, if you like, for the years of austerity in terms of their pay over the next pay increases over the next few years, while also balancing the budget. Can we, can we achieve all of this? And when we can't have everything in life, um, when it comes to public sector pay, I think the evidence is that public sector workers in Ireland, whether they like it or not, are paid more than their counterparts in uh, Europe, whether that may or may not be justified by how qualified or whether they're members of trade union or not. Which well, they is, might also argue that there's a higher cost of living here than many other European countries. Well, I think you're not going to solve the higher cost of living by uh, paying higher wages to one group in society. You'll solve the higher cost of living by doing things which are difficult, like um, having a proper planning system um, uh, and making sure the economy is operating as um, efficiently as it can. But I think the main issue in Ireland is whether the economy is operating at capacity, and I don't think it is. If we look at our employment rate, it's actually below the EU average. That may seem a surprise given where the unemployment rate is. But the reason is that there are 900,000 people who are inactive, uh, according to the CSO. Uh, there's a fine line between people who are unemployed and people who are inactive. We're poor in terms of female participation. So when you think about how to improve that. And the other issue is that we just lost a lot of people to emigration. 140,000 Irish nationals um, emigrated between 2010 and 2015. What we know about uh, returning emigrants is that they're higher skilled, uh, they've got better experience, they're more likely to participate in the labour market. And if you can put in place the infrastructure to bring those people back, there'll be more people working, paying taxes, versus where we currently are, which is a low level of employment relative to the population. So the number of people who are dependent on the social welfare system is high relative to those who are in employment. We can have a right-wing, left-wing debate about what the cause of that is, but the fact of the matter is they are dependent on the social welfare system. So the easy answer, I think, to sort of reduce our dependency ratio is to bring the immigrants back. But that'll take courage in terms of solving the housing crisis uh, and doing things which may be politically uh, unpopular to do that. Um, after that, if we don't see the dependency ratio fall, which is quite high at the moment, um, we're still going to have this kind of stress on our public finances. Um, a lot of people dependent on social welfare payments and the dole, um, and frankly, that's the issue. Can we make our economy more efficient with a higher proportion of the population in employment? Because right now we are below the EU average, and that's because our unemployment rate is not telling the whole story in terms of where uh, the economy is and okay. the efficiency of our labour market. All right, a big question there, one for our listeners to ponder, and perhaps uh, we'll, we'll come back to that on a future podcast. But that's it for this week on Inside Business. I want to thank my guests, Cliff Taylor, Suzanne Lynch, and Colin McQuilla. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>